As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Turn on my microphone, is that better? Well, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is doing well. I tell you what, I have been so blessed by this morning. Amen. Have you? Um, I have never experienced a Palm Sunday uh, worship service, and I will tell you, God is in this place. I am so grateful to be here this morning. Um, I want to make a quick announcement uh, before we get into the material that we're going to be talking about. Today, we're going to be having our very first discipleship group meeting. Um, we're going to be going over uh, quiet time with the Lord. We're going to be doing 95.5 time. And if you want to be a part of that, then after worship at 12 o'clock, we're just going to, everyone after worship who wants to be a part of it, just go grab some food anywhere you want. Bring it back. We're going to come over here to the uh, fellowship area, eat some food. And then after that, we're going to meet back in here and have our first session together. So if you want to be a part of that, that's happening today. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I really love about the Bible is that it is so full of pictures. And you've heard me talk about this from time to time, how there are so many pictures in the Bible, and every one of those pictures is so full of meaning. Now, this is Palm Sunday, and I told you a little bit earlier that this is um, on the Christian calendar. There are Christians all over the world that are celebrating Palm Sunday right now. Palm Sunday always falls the Sunday before Easter, and it just commemorates that final week of Jesus' life. It begins today, Palm Sunday, with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And you see the people waving the palm branches. And there's several other events that are going to take place over the course of the week. And, of course, all of this is looking forward to what happens on next Sunday, which we have the death and the burial and, most importantly, the resurrection uh, with our celebration of Easter. Um, but have you, ever, have you ever wondered why did they use palm branches that day? Have you ever wondered that? 
That's right, Caleb. Thank you. But, but why, why did they use palm branches? And would it surprise you if I told you that there is a very specific reason in the Bible of why they choose to wave palm branches when Jesus rides in? Um, there's a reason why when the crowds in Jerusalem hear that Jesus is just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, just two miles away in a little town called Bethpage, when they catch wind that he's about to enter into Jerusalem, they begin stripping branches off the trees. Why do they do that? I want to tease that question with you as we seek to answer that. Now, Josephus helps us out a little bit because uh, Josephus was a guy who lived during the time of of uh, Christ. He recorded a lot of the events that took place around that time. And, and Josephus tells us that at the time of Jesus, there were 2.7 million people that had gathered in Jerusalem for the time of the Passover. And, and what is the, what's the Passover about? Now, I, a, a moment ago, I mentioned to you about the Christian calendar, but there's also the Jewish calendar. And for our Messianic brothers and sisters in Christ, this week they're going to be celebrating what's known as Passover. Passover, I believe, begins on Friday night this week. Um, but, but what is Passover all about? Well, if you remember, in the Old Testament, there were three obligatory festivals that every single person was supposed to come to Jerusalem for. If you were able, and if you were able to make it, then three times a year, you were supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship God at these three events. The first one is Passover, second one is Pentecost, and the third one is Tabernacles. Tabernacles happens in the fall. But, but remember, what is the Passover all about? Because I, I feel like in order for us to understand what's happening when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, we kind of got to know what's going on in the background. So for a moment, let's remind ourselves what was Passover about? Passover commemorated the passing over of God, of the death angel, during the 10th plague in Egypt when God was delivering his people out of Egypt. And you remember what God instructed the people to do. He said, you, you go and you take a lamb without blemish and you sacrifice that lamb and that sacrifice is to cover that household. And what you do is you, you take some of the blood of the lamb and you pour it or you, you um, brush it on the doorpost of your house. And what is the picture? The picture is, is that if you're in the house that night and the death angel passes over, the, the angel of destruction passes over, then nothing will happen. Your house has experienced the redemption of God, the grace of God. But if your house is not covered by the blood of the lamb, then when God passes over, the firstborn child, the firstborn son or daughter in that house, their lives will be taken as part of God's judgment. Now, I want you to take your Bibles out, and I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. With that background, just remember that this is the time of the Passover. This is what they're in Jerusalem celebrating. And this is what's happening right before Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Now, I want to set up the scene. Jesus is nearing Jerusalem. He's getting ready to make his, his final entrance into the holy city. And while that's happening, in Jerusalem, the people begin to get word that he's about to come into the city. And so they start stripping off these, um, these plants to be able to, to get ready for that, these palm branches. And so it's here where we see them stripping these palm branches. And we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Read it with me, please. It says, As they approached Jerusalem 
and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied up there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody says anything to you, say that the, Lord's need, that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now pause here for just a moment. I tell you, I've been teaching the Bible for 20 years, and inevitably, almost every class will stop and get hung up right there in that verse. And the reason why is because a lot of people start asking the question, well, what is this donkey business all about, right? You know, is this something that Jesus had, you know, prearranged? You know, is this like a little cloak and dagger kind of thing? If you go here, say the password and you'll get the donkey? Or is, is it because there's so much messianic fervor that's happening in Jerusalem that when they hear Jesus needs it, they're like, okay, take it, right? The, 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 the point is, is that that's not, I don't think, what Matthew is wanting us to focus on. He doesn't tell you anything about how they get the donkey or why they get the donkey, or he does tell you why, but he doesn't tell you how. What does Matthew want you to focus on here in the text? Look very carefully with me. If you've been reading the Gospel of Matthew up until this point, then you know that Jesus has been keeping his identity quiet, hasn't he? Everywhere he went, he told the people, do not tell people who I am. Every now and then you would have a screeching demon that would start uh, shouting Jesus and saying that he's the Messiah. And every time you would have a screeching demon, what did he tell the demon? Be quiet, don't say anything. A little bit later on, Peter, remember he has that confession. And, and, and Peter finally the Spirit reveals to him who Jesus is. And he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Don't tell anybody. Why? Because his timing for revealing to the people of Israel who he was, was not ready yet. When was it to be ready? On this day. This was the day that Jesus had chosen in his wisdom to reveal himself to the world as the Messiah. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, why this day? Now, I don't have time to get into this this morning, but if you like to chase rabbit trails, what I want you to do is I want you to write down Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Because in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it gives a prediction, and it tells you 483 years to the day of when the Messiah would arrive the first time. In other words, let me say it differently. If they had been studying the book of Daniel chapter 9, if they had looked very carefully, then they would have known on what day to expect the arrival of the Messiah. In a moment, I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem right before, right before they start shouting Hosanna and waving the palm branches. And he says to them there, If you had known this your day the things that would make for your peace. This is a very special day. This is a prophetic day. This is a day that they, because of Bible prophecy, were supposed to be looking for. That's the first reason. The second reason Jesus chose this day is because now it's time to finally reveal his true identity, who he really is. And so then Matthew goes on to tell us, that all of this, Jesus choosing this day, choosing to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, all of it was to fulfill prophecy. And he gives you one. He gives you one right here. He says, it fulfills the prophet Zechariah. And by the way, he's going to quote Zechariah 9 verse 9. 
Now check this out. You know, a lot of people today, they have a hard time believing that the Bible is true, that the Bible's inspired word of God. Let me give you one example. I just quoted to you Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, which predicted the very day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. If that is not enough, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, is a scripture that was written 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And listen to what this prophecy says here. Pick up with me at verse 4. It says, this took place. What took place? Jesus riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Again, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and he's quoting here. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, I'll be honest with you. If it were not for all the messianic excitement that was happening in Jerusalem that day, I don't think that they would have noticed anything about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was a very common mode of transportation. People did it all the time. In fact, we know that they missed the point that Jesus was trying to make by riding in on a donkey. How do we know that? Because in John chapter 12, verse 16, it specifically tells you that it was only after Jesus' resurrection that they had the insight to look back at what he did on the donkey and realize that he was revealing himself to the world. In other words, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Everybody missed what Jesus was doing that day. Almost everybody missed what Jesus was saying by what he was doing by riding in on a donkey. Jesus was intentionally fulfilling prophecy in Zechariah and through that he was choosing to publicly declare to the world, I am the king, I am the promised one, and I am the Messiah. Now, um, one thing I want to point out is when you go back and you read the rabbinic literature, when you read the Talmud, for example, um, the Talmud, all the Jewish rabbis all around that time from the first century all the way up until now, they believe that Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 is a messianic prophecy. And so they expected that when the Messiah arrives, he will arrive riding on a donkey. Okay? So again, you see that here. So keep reading with me verse 6. So the disciples went... And they did, just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. While others, and here it is, they cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, if you notice in verse 8, this is the verse where we get the idea from that they were waving the palm branches. But in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't include this fact that they were waving the palm branches as he was riding in. Does that make sense? They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They were waving the palm branches and they were doing this as he was riding in. It's actually in John's gospel in John chapter 12, verse 13, where we get that added detail that they were doing this. Now, 
They're holding up these palm branches. They're so excited. They're so happy. And, and what is it they're doing? They're cutting off the branches. They're waving them. They're singing the song. The Bible says that they're laying them down at his feet as the donkey comes riding in. Now, this leads us back to the question that we asked at the beginning of the sermon. Why are they doing the palm branches? What does waving the palm branches mean? Here's why I asked the question. This is where you're going to have a little bit of unsolved mysteries this morning because there is no tradition in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, there is no tradition in the Bible of waving palm branches on Passover. Did you know that? Not a single tradition. In fact, if you go back and you, you look at the, the customs of the Jews, if you actually read the Talmud, if you read some of the, 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 the Jewish sages over the years, there's no custom at all about waving palm branches on, on, the, um, on Passover. But you know where you do see the waving of the palm branches? On another Jewish festival called Sukkot on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is another feast that happens at the end of the year in the fall. This is the springtime. This is the spring festival. But they're doing something completely out of place. It would be almost like, almost like, putting up a Christmas tree on Thanksgiving. I know some of you do that anyway. Right? Some of you do that anyway. But it's disjointed. It doesn't work. While you're carving the turkey, you don't need to be singing jingle bells, right? But there's something that's happening here because they're doing this out of turn. And that piques my curiosity a little bit. Why is that? Well, what is the Feast of Tabernacles all about? Because when you go and you look at what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, the Feast of Tabernacles is a picture of the arrival of the Messiah. Here's the Messiah. He has returned to Jerusalem. He is from the throne of, he is sitting on the throne of David. He is sitting there. He has, he has brought peace to the earth. He has brought judgment upon God's enemies. And now finally, there's going to be peace upon the earth. The healing of the nations is going to begin. The nations will bring their glory to Jerusalem. The knowledge of the Lord will fill all the earth. All these promises that exist throughout the Old Testament are fulfilled in the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, you know how they worshiped God on Tabernacles? They would go outside and they would peel off three different types of branches. They would peel off a palm branch, which is the one that we all have here with us this morning. Um, they would also peel off a willow branch and they would also peel off a myrtle branch. This is a picture of modern um, Jews. These are not Messianic Jews. These are, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, um, Talmudic, Hasidic Jews uh, in Jerusalem, and they're worshiping at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, and look at what they're holding in their hand. That's called a lulav. When you take the three branches from each of the three trees and you put them together, you have what's called a lulav. And when you wave the lulav in the air, what are you doing? You are recognizing the Messiah as the king of the entire world. And when you're doing it, waiting for the Messiah, which is what they're doing, they're waving it in anticipation of the coming Messiah. Of course, you and I know he's already come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. But again, this is a tradition for tabernacles, not Passover. So why are they doing this? They're doing this because when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, they believe that he's the one. 
They believe that he's the Messiah, that he has come to bring them this, this final deliverance. And by deliverance, what do I mean by that? that what, I, what I mean by that is a political deliverance. What they're expecting Jesus to do is to go into Jerusalem, set himself up on the throne of David, and to begin judging the Romans and remove all foreign oppression off of them. They're looking for somebody who would come and rule and reign from Jerusalem and bring peace. You say, Tim, how do you know that? I know that because of the words of the song that they sang to him when he showed up. What do they sing again? Go back to the scripture. Here it is right here. Blessed is he who's Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know where that comes from? Psalm 118. And the Jewish rabbis have taught for the last 2,000 years that when the Messiah returns, we're going to sing that song. That's his song. And so that song has been reserved in the Jewish heart for the arrival of the Messiah. So I want you to get the picture of what's happening here. It's the time of the Passover. But the people believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that was to come. And so as he's coming in, they can't stand it anymore. They start, they're, they're at Passover, but they start worshiping Sukkot. <laughs> They start pulling the branches down. This is the guy. This is the guy. They start laying them down at his feet. They start singing the praises. They start singing Psalm 118. They start praising using the love. They're welcoming Jesus as the Messiah. And when they're waving the palm branches, they're saying, we welcome our King, our Messiah, who has come to set up his tabernacle with us, to be with us, to free us from our enemies, and to bring peace upon the earth. Now, I've heard my whole life, people say, well, you know what the problem with the Jews were? The problem with the Jews were is that they focused too much on our earthly kingdom and not a spiritual kingdom. Um, they said they didn't see that because that's what Jesus intended to bring. Well, I no longer hold that to be true. And the reason why I don't hold that to be true is because if you spend time in the Old Testament, uh, the, our immersed people, for those of you in this room who go to immerse on Thursday nights, we've been in the Old Testament prophets now for weeks and weeks and weeks. And what is one theme that we've seen time and time again? God has promises that, for Israel that are not done yet. God is not done with his people Israel and there will be one day a national deliverance. All those prophecies about the day of the Lord, God judging his enemies, the deliverance of Israel, the coming of the Messiah, his rule and reign from Jerusalem, the healing of the nations, him bringing peace to all the earth. All those prophecies are still true and still yet to be fulfilled. The problem with Israel was not that they were believing the wrong things. The problem was not their eschatology about the coming of the Messiah. The problem was, watch it, their hearts were not ready for the kingdom. Their king came to them and their hearts were not ready for his kingdom. Mm. I want to share with you something that you may not have heard before. It is not an interpretation I have ever heard before in the churches of Christ. Now that probably made you a little nervous. I offer this to you as one interpretation that I, that I particularly hold. I want to read this to you. This comes from a rabbi, Yeshua ben Levi, 
from the third century. And this happens to be, I agree with this interpretation, but I wanted you to know that this is a very ancient Jewish interpretation here, okay? In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22, that very scripture that we read a moment ago about Jesus riding in on a donkey, that prophecy that was written 500 years before Jesus was born. I want you to hear from a Jewish rabbi what they feel about this prophecy. Here's what he said. He said, it is written in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22, that in its time, the Messiah will come. And yet, in the same passage, it also says, I will hasten it. And basically what the rabbi went on to explain it like this. He says, God has set a time for the Messiah to arrive. He has made an appointed time for the arrival of the Messiah. But there's going to be a time when God will seek to hasten it early. And if the people are worthy and if they're willing to accept it, then God can start the plan there. But if not, then he will move on and he will come at the appointed time. Okay, that's the interpretation. So basically what he was saying, Jesus comes. If the generation is found worthy, God will hasten the appointed time of redemption. He'll bring it early. But if the generation of the Messiah is found unworthy, he will not. He will come later at the final appointed time. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense then why Jesus says some of the things that he says. I'll give you a quick example. Remember when he was talking about John the Baptist and the people were curious about John the Baptist and they were saying, is he Elijah? Is he the Messiah? What did Jesus say? He said, this is the Elijah to come if you can accept it. In other words, there is a day when Elijah will come. But if they had been willing to accept John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah, they could have had the kingdom right then. But they didn't. Here's another one. Luke chapter 19, 41 through 44. Look at this. This is the parallel passage of Jesus right before he's about to go into Jerusalem. In Matthew's account, he's just pronounced seven woes of judgment over the religious leadership. Okay? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Remember that passage? Now listen to what he says after he does this. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you had only known on this day. And in Greek, here's what it says literally. On this, the day. Very important day that you should have been watching for. If you had known on this, the day, and, uh, uh, it, uh, there would, the things that would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And I can't help but shudder when I think about, are we ready for his second coming? Are we ready for his second coming? And of course, you know how this was fulfilled. Just what, not even 40-something years later, on 70 and 70 AD, Titus and Vespasian fulfilled this very words of Jesus when they came in and they leveled Jerusalem, completely leveled Jerusalem, and they scattered the Jews across the four winds of the earth. But is that the end of the story? No. Because there is still the final appointed time. There's still time for redemption. There's still that day when Jesus will return. And by the way, when he returns the second time, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, he's going to be riding on a white horse in triumphant, triumphant 
Now watch this. Here is the incredible wisdom of God. God knew that when he sent his son to hasten the redemption of man, the first time he came, he knew that they were not ready for the coming kingdom. He knew that they would reject his son. He knew that they would kill him. And by the way, that's almost an indictment on Jesus being the perfect Passover lamb because that which they regarded as absolutely should be destroyed and killed was the very thing that would bring them their final redemption. And so in Jesus' first coming, the king doesn't come to rescue his people from the Romans, from foreign oppressors. What does he do? He comes to rescue his people from spiritual oppressors from Satan, from sin, and from death. He comes to deal with the very issues that caused them to not be ready for the coming kingdom in the first place, the issue of their heart. And so he dies, he's buried, he's raised, and he creates the opportunity for God's Spirit to come live inside of you so that for the next 2,000 years, the message of the kingdom can go out to prepare his people for the return of the king. Amen? So... On this Palm Sunday, I want all of us to remember something. You know, the Bible tells you in John chapter 11, verse 15, do you know what tells you the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey? It was the 10th of the month. Why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, from the 10th of the month to the 14th of the month, you spend time with the lamb that you intend to sacrifice. Over that period of four days, you observe the lamb. Why? Because it has to be perfect. It has to be without blemish. And do you know what was happening while they were selecting their Passover lambs for the Passover? The people were watching and examining the Passover lamb of Jesus Christ. The people were selecting their lamb and they didn't even know it. I'm going to throw this out there too because this is just a little Bible nugget. But... Um, I'm sorry, Mark 11, 11 is where the other passage was. John eleven fifty. 50, you have that famous passage where the high priest, Caiaphas, remember what he says when they come to the conclusion about killing Jesus? It's better for one man to die for all the people than for the whole nation to perish. And the Bible says that, that because he was the high priest, he was speaking prophetically, right? Okay, so on this Palm Sunday, here's what I want us to all understand and take away. What does this day really represent? It represents that 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel missed an incredible opportunity to have their Messiah. When, he, when their Messiah came to visit them, they misunderstood the Messiah's mission. They misunderstood the Messiah's role. And so they killed him and they rejected him. And because of that, Paul says in Romans chapter 11, because of their disobedience, the gospel has now gone to the Gentiles. But he said there was a day coming when that full number of Gentiles is complete and then all Israel will be saved. Psalm 118 verse 22 says those words. He says the stone which the builders rejected shall become the chief of the corner. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, it says they shall look upon him whom the Jews, the religious leaders will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son. And then finally, in um, Revelation chapter 11, verse 26, it reiterates, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. When will these things happen? When will Jesus come back? When will the final redemption take place? Jesus told you. 
In Matthew 23, 30, 37 through 39, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I came, this could have been yours, but you weren't willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Stop right there. I wish I had another hour, Terry. Because as a reader of the Bible, when you read those words, your mind is supposed to automatically go back to the book of Daniel chapter 9. That right there is a prophetic scripture because the house is not going to be left desolate forever. You know that? The house of Israel is not going to be left desolate forever. Okay, got to move on. Look, your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until what happens. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people did it the first time. But four days later, the people that were shouting Hosanna started shouting crucify him. And when Jesus says those words, he's not talking to the people, he's talking to the religious leaders. Jesus is looking at the religious leaders. He's looking at the nation of Israel and he's saying, I will not come back until you invite me back. So the question is, what's it going to take for Israel to invite their true Messiah back? And that is the subject of the last days. There's a day coming when Yeshua will return and he is going to make his true triumphal entry. And when he comes, he will come as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 32, that the Messiah will come and he will reign and he will be glorified upon this earth. And you want to know something really interesting? In the book of Revelation, I'm going to close right here. It says that after Jesus comes back and begins to rule and reign, do you know what the first holiday is that you and I are going to celebrate? It's not Christmas. Tabernacles. You and I are going to go outside and we're going to make our lulavs and we're going to go before the king and we're going to wave them before Jesus and we're going to welcome him as he comes to this earth and make everything right. Amen. I cannot wait for that. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Remember what the palms represent. The palms um, is about recognizing Jesus as our king. It's about waiting for him to make his final triumphant entry. And here's the thing. You don't have to wait for Jesus to make a triumphal entry. You know why? Because if you don't have Christ in your life right now, you can allow him to make a triumphal entry into your heart. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the elders and their wives, if you want to go ahead and stand around the edge of the the corners of the room here, uh, we're going to have the time of the invitation, but we're going to do something a little bit different. If there is something on your heart that you want to lay at the foot of the cross then I'm going to ask if you would, during the time of this invitation, just come up. You can lay it right here at the foot of the cross. Spend some time in prayer. Go back to your seat. If you need prayer for anything, if you want to see me or one of the elders or one of their wives, you can do that as well. And if you have not put on Christ in baptism, today is the day of salvation. So come forward right now as together we stand and sing.